All right, somebody look up. I don't have it on the screen for some reason. It didn't generate. So somebody look up Revelation 2.10. Yeah. Yeah, nice and loud. So be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the what? Crown of life. So uh, salvation, probably speaking specifically, that will be that crown. So, um, so what kind of crowns are there? We have one word for crown in our language. How many crowns do? How many words do you think are in Hebrew for the word crown? Yeah, any take some guesses. Okay, we got eight, four, seven. <laughs> That's a good guess with Revelation. <laughs> uh, it was actually five, but one would be like the crown of the top of your head. Another one would be like crown molding, so the top or the crown of the hill. And then there's three that are in reference to the crown that you wear on your head. So isn't that interesting? We have one word, and the Hebrew creates three different words to talk about this crown. Okay? Now, we're going to take our guesses. So there's three. How many are there in Greek? Anybody have any idea? Ten? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's pretty high. Um, all right. Well, you be thinking about that. It's going to come up as we're going to uh, get here. So... In Hebrew, there are three words for the for a crown that is worn on the head. Okay, three. Each one is has different is used with different significance. Okay, some of them, uh, the last two, are, are kind of interchangeable, so they kind of uh, use them different way, this kind of the same way, like synonyms. But the the first one definitely is very unique. Okay, so the first Hebrew word is nazir. Okay, and that one is used. Several times in the Old Testament, it's a crown set apart to set apart, and it comes from that root set apart. It's to set apart the high priest and the kings of Israel. It's the only context in which it's used. Okay, so it's a special crown. In the Septuagint, it is translated as a diadem. Okay, that or diadema. Okay, so that would be the Greek word for that. Okay, for one of the Greek words for crown, okay, diadema, and we sing about diadems, right, in our text, right, and some, yes and no, I wish it was that clean cut, and a lot of people try to teach it that clean cut, but it's not, um, I would say in the New Testament, diadema is only used of kings in the New Testament. But when you go expand the language and you look, say, like in the Septuagint or in other Greek writings, it's not exclusive. Does that make sense? But let's look at some examples of Nazir in the Old Testament, okay? Leviticus 8 9. Now, I didn't list them all because we'd be here all night just reading scripture. So I'm kind of picking some out, okay? And he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front he set a golden plate, the holy crown, as to the Lord 
as the Lord commanded Moses. And this is talking about the high priest and the, the garment that he wears, okay? Whoa. Humidity. It really took off on me. That's what humidity does. Okay. And then we have Psalm 132. I can't just read a half a sentence, so we got to start at the beginning. Sorry. So, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests will clothe with I will close with salvation, and our saints will shout for joy. There, will, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared my lamp for my anointed, or my Messiah. Anointed and Messiah can be translated the same way. His enemies I will close with shame, but on his navel, on his crown, but on his crown will shine. Okay, and it's talking about the king David, right, or the king, the king of Israel. Or the crown of the Messiah, right? So then there's the each, the other, the second one is the Hebrew atar that's used for crowns for many purposes, including crowns symbolizing rule, including crowns symbolizing law, including symbolic crowns like the crown of righteousness or a wife as a crown, that kind of thing, okay? The Greek equivalent would be Stephanos. Okay, so let's look at some examples of that in the Old Testament, okay? Second Samuel 12, 30, and he took the crown of their king from his head. This is a, 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 a like an evil king, right, that they conquered. And w the weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought the spoil of the city a very great amount. For pagan kings, this crown is referred to as a ataha. Okay? Then Psalm 21, 1 through 3. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. And then we have Psalm 103, 105. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. This is a beautiful psalm. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This, so this is like a symbolic crown, right? You're being crowned with steadfast love and mercy. And it's also kind of like a reward or a gift, right? You're being given this. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, right? And then we have Proverbs 4, 9. She will place on your head a graceful garland or graceful crown. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And this is uh, Lady Wisdom in Proverbs, okay? And it's bestowed, right? It's being given. So then the last one is the Hebrew kefir, 
It's a circlet, a, di or a diadem. It's only used four times in the Old Testament, and three of those is in reference to the Persian king or king. It's in Esther. It's either talking about the Persian, uh, King Artaxerxes' crown, or Esther's crown. Uh, so it's translated uh, in the Septuagint as diadema, so diadem, okay, which is the Greek word. So, so before I go to the next slide, how many, I'm not going to read those ones because are not totally pertinent. How many Greek words do you think there are now? That's right, there's two. Stephanos and diadema, okay? So there are two kinds of crowns, Stephanos and diadema, okay? Stephanos in the New Testament is mainly used as a reward, a crown of life, uh, uh, you something you've earned, something that's given. It's a reward. But also signifies rule. So it's not just reward. It also signifies rule. So there's a lot of these. Well, not a lot, but a few. So let's look at the uses of this in the New Testament, okay? So the first one is in Matthew 27, 29. And it's actually in all the Gospels, but it's the same thing or same usage, so I didn't include all of them. Um, but it's talking about Jesus' crown, right? And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, right? So there it's signifying rule, but a mocking sense of rule, right? And it's to signify they wrap these thorns, right, around his head. And this is that context of the Olympic Games, uh, the Roman Olympic Games especially, the New Testament authors are borrowing it from there, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown or wreath, crown. But we do live for Christ for an imperishable wreath or crown, okay? So all crown is imperishable. That's good to know, right? Okay. And then Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers, to whom I love and long for my joy and my, and what? Crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So who does Paul see as his crown? His congregation, right? The people he's witnessed to and won to Christ. Those are his crowns. Um, so that's a symbolic, right? Right? Uh, 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a, oh, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, right? And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing, right? Looks forward to Jesus coming, right? And then James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him, right? Right? And then, so this is all Stephanus, right? So, and then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, right? And then Revelation 2.11, uh, we read Revelation 2.10 already, right? Uh, be faithful, right, unto death, and you receive the crown of life. And then Revelation 3.11 says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast with what you have, 
so that no one may seem your, seize your crown. Okay? And then Revelation 4.4 4 is what we went over even just this last couple, well, not last, not yet, not two weeks ago. Uh, around the throne is 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And they're seated on thrones, right? So this one is more symbolic of a gift, or is it more symbolic of a rule? Think about the context, even. Yeah, rule. Because what is Revelation 4 and 5? It's a divine council scene, right? And they're seated on a throne, right? And they have crowns on these thrones, right? And then the casting of their crown before the God is to is that showing that they're sharing that rule or they're, uh, they're giving up their right to rule for Christ to rule, but not that they don't rule anymore. Does that make sense? Just like today, we submit ourselves, I think a better way to put it would be submitting themselves to God, Christ's rule, right? We, in a sense, take all crowns or sit, come off all thrones and submit the rule to Christ, and he rules through us. We, we carry out his bidding and his rule, right? That's what that imagery, part of what's going on in Revelation, is they're saying he rules, right? And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. A crown. And this one is definitely to rule, right? There's no doubt about that one, and we could debate on who this horse figure is, and we'll talk probably more about that on Sunday. Um, but yeah, this guy's ruling, right? Whether it's an antichrist, a false Christ, or whether it's a, or whether it's Christ, depending on who, what lens you wear as you read this text, right? And then re we're going to jump ahead to Revelation nine seven, and it says, uh, "This is, I think, trumpets." It appear in appearance the locusts were like the horses prepared for battle, and on their heads wore what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Right? And there's this way of ruling and carrying out God's judgment. That's why they're wearing a crown. So that's rule. That's not reward. Does that make sense? And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, right? And this is definitely just symbolic of the 12 what? Who's the woman for us? That would be the Israel or Mary, but most likely Israel specifically. And so whose representation of Israel? 12 tribes. Revelation 14, 14, right? Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like the son of man and with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Okay? Maybe this is where we get some of the ideas of sitting on clouds playing harp. But this one is interesting. He has a sharp sickle in his hand. And uh, any ideas? <laughs> yeah, what you do with a sickle, <laughs> you cut things, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a sickle of judgment there. Uh, we'll be getting to that. So then the next use is diadema. It's in the New Testament. It's used as a crown to rule. 
Uh, but that's not always the case in the Septuagint. So if you trace it through the Septuagint, like diadema is used for Esther's crown and she's not ruling, it's just fancy. Does that make sense? But in the New Testament, it is used as a crown to rule. Now, it would be really cool if it was just used for Jesus, but it's not. It's used for ruling beings. So like the first one, and it's only in Revelation. Uh, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament diadema. So Revelation 12, 3 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads was seven crowns or seven diadems. Okay? And then uh, Revelation 13, 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. So this is speaking of rule for sure, right? Not good rule, but rule. And then uh, the next one, the last usage is good rule. His Jesus' eyes are like the flame of fire. On his, on his head are many crowns, or many diamonds. Crown him with many crowns, the Lord upon. You know that song? That's where that comes from right there. So uh, has a mini diadems, and his name is written on one that no one knows but himself. Pretty cool, huh? Diadems is a transliteration of the Greek word, yeah. Yep. And they, the authors did that to try to signify the difference between the two. So the Bible translators. Since we have one, <laughs> one word. So, where does the idea of crowns being a word come from? We just went through a bunch of texts. Scripturally, where could it come from? Any ideas? So that's a that's a Roman context, yeah. So it's coming from that. New Testament writers are, are pulling from that. What about some Old Testament context, right? What could the Old Testament guys pull it from? I mean, there's some intertestamental period stuff they could pull it from, but I didn't put that in there, so I had to just throw in. But there's some Old Testament stuff. What's e any of those passages we read jumps out? Some of it's in more in the symbolic meaning. What about some of the Proverbs passages like wisdom? Giving the, cr she's a crown, right? She's a, it's a reward. Does that make sense? So Proverbs would give that as well. So really the use of crown in Proverbs, most of the time in Proverbs it's not talking about a king, it's talking about a reward, right? Or a good thing, a wife is a crown. A good wife is a crown upon your head. A, a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet <laughs> or something like that, you know? Or <laughs> it's a blessing, a gift, yeah, yeah. So that would be the Old Testament context to pull it out. Oh, Lady Wisdom is a crown. She's a gift, and she's a, a, a crown on your head. Are you okay? You need a cough drop? I got one in the... Okay. Uh, you know, and she's a crown on your head. 
that kind of thing. Wealth is a crown to the wise. So it has that gift context. Then the New Testament writers grab that and grabs the intertestament period stuff, which I didn't put in there, but there's a lot of it in the intertestament period of using crown figuratives for reward. And then they pair that with the Rome Olympic Games idea, right? Um, especially like that passage in, four in Timothy, First Timothy 4.8, that says, you know, we don't strive for a crown that's imperishable, but for a crown that, I mean, for a crown that's perishable, but for a crown that is imperishable, right? And then Paul seems to like to use it as a, as a reward crown of people being his crown, so like a, a sense of glory, okay? So that's, that's where it comes from. And then Jesus, or John the Apostle, adopts that, right? Um, takes, and even James, the crown of life, right? This reward that you get. So how do we receive a crown? How do we get the crown? By being faithful, yeah. By, I, I mean, it begins in that confession of Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead, right? And then faithful loyalty or being faithful to that, right? Not denying that. Right, and you know we can talk about that—that that God's true children, right, are going to be faithful to the end. I mean, because that's God's work, right? So, faithful loyalty, demonstrate faithful loyalty, right? In the verse that Rick re read at the beginning, right, it says, uh, "Be faithful unto death, and you will receive the crown of life." Right? Um, James talks about you know enduring the trial. Right? And being faithful. And you'll receive the crown of life. I would just say that faith is a gift from God, and so our faithfulness even comes from God's work in us. Right? Yes. I think you receive multiple crowns. I, it's a, part of it's an analogy, right? So, because um, you got the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. Uh, Paul seems to think that the people whom he's converted and, and witnessed to or crowned. So you have a, a pretty broad analogy for the crown. So in the sense of reward, I think you get a lot of crowns. Does that make sense? Um, in the sense of rule, I think it's one crown of ruling, shared rule with Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, do the crowns we receive include shared rule? I think so. I think the text demonstrates that. Now, not all the New Testament one, but definitely the Revelation one, right? Because a lot of times he's talking about the rule, the Stephanos, he definitely uses, the author uses Stephanos to indicate rule and to indicate reward, right? He's not just singling it out to one use, right? In Revelation, for sure. Now, in the... New t in the rest of the New Testament, it seems to be used more as as reward or analogy of reward, right? But in Revelation, the author of Rev John tends to blend the two. And when he's talking about crowns, he's also talking about sitting on thrones, right? Which definitely talks about shared rule. And then we have the whole image in Revelation 4 of the 24 elders, Right? And I thought I gave a pretty good persuasive argument of who the 24 elders were, which means they would represent 
saints, both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, right? The Israel and the church, right? And they have a crown, right? And they're sitting on a throne, and then they're coming off. They're falling off their throne and, and laying their crown or throwing their crown before the throne, right? Um, and that's all about a ruling thing, right? And they're partaking in God's rule, right? So the context, use of Stephanos in Revelation especially, definitely includes or does include shared rule, right? Now, I think uh, there will be commentaries and good commentaries that disagree with me on this. They, they like to just try to keep it nice trim categories. But I don't think the text, uh, especially John, doesn't do that. So, what do you think the shared rule will look like? What does it look like now? Let's start there. So, let's talk about that. How does shared rule look now? Or how should it look now? <laughs> we should. We can start there. I, or we could. I mean. So we have an already not yet tension. You guys understand that, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and willingly, yeah. So, the shared rule now looks like submission to God. I mean, that's what you're basically saying. Okay, so that's part of it, but what, what's some other parts of it? What's a ruler do? Like, like if you are a congressperson, you, you rule. We kind of just use analogies that we have. I mean, <laughs> but what, do you, what part of your ruling job is to what? What? The ten things. Yeah, but you represent, right? Who do you represent? Well, you represent the people, and then you represent the government to the people. Does that make sense? So, <coughs> um, part of our rule is to represent God to the people. Does that make sense? And then the other side of that would be part of our rule is to represent the people to God. He's made us a kingdom of priests, right? So part of that's part of what we do when we intercede for each other. We are acting as priests and representing God's people to God. So that's a function of rule, okay? When we go to Red Lobster and we tip really well <laughs> and eat really well, we're representing who? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's you, yeah. And you're celebrating your anniversary, but your attitude, right? 
especially in a small community, right? You're representing who? God, right? Right? Not, you see what I mean? So, and it comes down to the little things, right? The way you interact with somebody at the bank, right? Or somebody at the post office. Now, all post offices are super easy because we have the sweetest postmen in there ever. But I've had post office where postmasters are just like, Flat out rude. Right? So these are different ways. Okay, so we have the representation of God and that management, right? The, ma the stewardship of all time, the stewardship of our emotions, the stewardship of uh, our body. In heaven, though, or the new heavens and earth, right, that'll look different, won't it? Is it going to look the same? I hope not. <laughs> but we're still going to rule. You know that? Yeah, so let's, let's explore that. That's a good question. What and how? So... Let's let's think through that. So, what is one thing that humanity creates by itself? Like, it's just something we produce. Every country has it, and basically, because of isolation, each country has it's different. Anybody have an idea what that is? Well, it has an economy. Yeah, so there will probably be some kind of economy in heaven. I don't know what that would be, but I'm looking for a different word. So let's go to C. A culture. Culture is not bad. It's amoral. Now, humans make it bad, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? The de depravity of humanity makes culture bad, can make culture bad. But just like the, the sanctification or the change of humanity, the, the holiness of humanity makes culture good, right? Culture has to be managed, right? In the last 40 years, we've been in a cultural, 50 years, a cultural war, right? And I'm not saying we should be in a cultural war, but we are. I mean, because Christianity in the United States is a majority, and that creates a cultural war. Now, if we were a minority, there really wouldn't be a cultural war. Does that make sense? Not in the same way, at least. So in heaven, there will be culture. Because hum humans make culture. That's what we do. Yeah, we, it, we, it'll be sanctified culture, right? So it won't be homogenous, right? Meaning it's not all going to be the same. Because God's a God of diversity, right? And we have... We have people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, right, that are bringing their, their sanctified thoughts and ideas, right? But that has to be ruled and managed for the glory and honor of God. And then think about it. He's making a new heavens 
new earth, the intertwined, what was the original job to Adam and Eve for the earth? In the garden, to care and tend, to subdue, or to, another word you could put there, synonym, to rule. So the new creation will need to be managed. It's not going to manage itself. It's not like the tree's going to grow and say, okay, I'm not going to grow that branch there because I know that won't produce the right amount of fruit. Right? Now, we're not going to have weeds to pull, but we might have non-weeds grow where we don't want them to grow. <laughs> right? So this Weeds and not weeds. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So if there's contained within the the, the space, the 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 uh, the cycle. What's the word I'm looking? For? Ecosystem that they're supposed to be designed in then they function properly. But there'll still be the opportunity to cultivate. Does that make sense? And cultivation is a form of ruling. Okay? Does that make sense? Interesting to think about that shared rule that we that the crown symbolizes. That's that's a big piece of what the crown symbolizes. Now it does share it does symbolize our rewards as well, right? Uh, but revelation is more talking about shared rule than a reward. Okay? Um, it's both and, but it's definitely in Revelation 4 and fi 4 emphasizing shared rule. Right? Any other thoughts or questions on crown or a crown? So I think that the the rewards. I think it'll be. I think you'll get real crown, a, a real crown to symbolize your sharing that rule with with Christ. So, and that crown of righteousness or the crown of life is salvation. I mean, that's the crown, and you'll have like. I mean, you get a crown that symbolizes that, right? And then you give it to Jesus. Good. Do you want a crown? You want a little princess tiara? I guess we have different names for crowns. A tiara. Right? A tiara would be a princess's crown. Do you like crowns? Do you have a favorite one? Joelle said I, I probably need to do address something and maybe I uh and I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit about this in Sunday. So a lot of what's going on in apocalyptic literature is that it's using symbol to illustrate truth. So John saw Jesus as a lamb who was slain, who has seven eyes and seven horns. Now I just want to clarify that Jesus is not walking around in heaven as a lamb that was slain with seven eyes and seven horns. Okay. Jesus is in his glorified body, so he bears the scars. He does bear the scars of his 
of his crucifixion, but he doesn't look all the time like a lamb that was slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Okay? Now, it does get difficult because, like, next week we're going to talk about the four living creatures and what they are. And in my opinion, the four living creatures always look like that or something similar okay, because of what they are. Okay? Yeah, so sometimes you can see part of it's what's consistent in theophanies. So like the full and in in the imagery that they're pulling from. So the full living creatures are coming from Akkadian and Babylonian imagery and symbology of to represent spiritual beings. Okay. Um, whereas G that imagery of horns and eyes and things like that is more pulling for Jesus is pulling on his representation of what he's done and 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 what he's accomplished. So those would be some of the rules, I guess. And like the twenty-four elders, right? In my opinion, they're a representation of the Old Testament and New Testament saints, so Israel and the Church. So. To me, that means that all those people are there, but they're being represented by those 12. Does that make sense? Or those 24? Sorry. Did I Do you see what I mean? Um, and there are some things, like if it's a, if it's a spiritual being, uh, that's not like, like Jesus is embodied. Does that make sense? So he's not, he's both, he's an embodied spirit spiritual being, right? He's like us, or we're like, he's like us. We became like us, right? So that th that doesn't really change that much. I'm going to look like me, just a better me in heaven. Does that make sense? Um, but spiritual beings and certain kinds of spiritual beings look like they look, and they look like that for a reason. Does, does yeah, so I, I just, the cherubim. They're throne guardians, and they're throne guardians for a reason. They have a job, and they have those, those, they do rep, those, what you're seeing does represent their attributes, okay? But it's, but they look, they are showing off their attributes and reflecting God's attributes at the same time, okay? Because if we read, if you remember from a couple Sundays ago, we read about their purpose, right, to, um, it was like to sh to shine to show God, give God honor, glory, and something else. I can't remember power, maybe, right? So yeah, and like the like the four like we're going into Revelation six, right? It's got the four horsemen of the apocalypse: the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the gray horse, right? Okay, it's not really horses that are coming. Actually, and if I remember through the first two are, are political leaders, the, the next two are, uh, well, the, next, the third one is demonic, and then the fourth horse is pestilence, it's disease, it's sickness, but they're representing it, it's a symbol, 
So this is kind of where we get kind of confused, and this is where Revelation people people get bogged down because they try to make this literal imagery, and it's not. Does that make sense? Right. Or they try to make the demons of the trumpets uh, helicopters and things like that, and it's not. Does that make sense? Any questions, other questions, thoughts? Though I do not want my kids to quit drawing my cool pictures. I think those are great. Because <laughs> so <laughs> it is what John saw. Does that make sense? But he saw it with, he saw it to understand, it's an image. Think of it as, oh, how do I want to say it? Um, Yeah, uh, Passover, sl- Passover lamb, the, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The, I mean, it, it's all that symbolism. I'm trying to illustrate how an apocalyptic scene, why John is seeing these things. Uh, because apocalyptic and prophecy, the tradition is that it talks and speaks through symbol. That's why. Um, I think I, I, if I would try to do an equivalent is we might draw whole comics about Republicans and Democrats and not ever draw a person, right? We'll drive elephants and donkeys. Does that, but Democrats are not elephants and the Republicans, I got it backwards, but, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the the East talks in symbol and talks in tensions, so and circles and chiastic structure. So a chiasm. You guys, do you guys know what a chiasm is? Okay. So a chiasm is a form of poetry, and actually, Revelation has. Anytime you have an odd number, you can make it, it potentially in the Old Testament or the New Testament makes a chiasm. Okay, so it's basically you have line, line, middle line, line, line. So point, point, main point, counterpoint, counterpoint. Or and so then, because we typically, you know, my, my sermons probably actually look like, uh, like a diamond. That's how my sermons look. I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> or you know what I mean? Or, or they might look like a pyramid. I might ask pose a question, and then I answer that question and come down to a point, right? In Eastern thought, and in biblical thought, really, the main point of the topic is not at the end, it's in the beginning, or in the middle. That's the main thing that they're trying to get back. Now, I am not convinced, totally 100% convinced, that Revelation has a ton of chiasms in it. There are people who do think it does because of the use of the number seven, because then you can have three, then the fourth is the point, and then three, right? Which creates a chiasm. So you have A, B, C, C, D, A. Um, yeah, so that's how chiastic structure works. And I was playing around with that just with Revelation just to see what's going on. 
I mean, it definitely works out, but it's hard to tie it because usually they're in A and A or A and negative A would be in parallel or in conflict or, or like opposite. Um, and I, there's some issue with, with that. Now, you do have beginning and end, so that could be within, does that make sense? So like you have the first seal, right, is an opening, it's the beginning. And then you have the seventh seal is a silence. So they could almost be, you could almost make those in parallel. Does that make sense? But then the inter the middle point, the fourth horse is kind of interesting. So, I mean, yeah, the fourth seal. So, yeah. So, yeah. And then it would be the bull, uh, the trumpets, right? And then the bulls. So you could lay out those all those things in a chiastic structure, and then you'd have to pull out like a scene in heaven, which is Revelation 7 is a scene in heaven, so that doesn't fit within that chiastic structure because that's like an insert. So, anyway, we'll see if any of that comes to fruition. <laughs> any other thoughts or questions on anything? Crowns, ruling. Request.